Unsee the future. The Hopi Chatty Bits. Hello and welcome to Unsee the Future. The Hopi Chatty Bits with me, Timo Peach. The podcast in which I meet artists, solar punks and changemakers, reimagining the stories we think we're in. How are you doing? Are you feeling uh, really agent and changemakery and positive? Or are you feeling increasingly useless and what's it all for? Wherever you are on the spectrum of your feelings, staring at the world or trying not to stare at the world, I hope that you will find this little space an encouraging, silly-seeming but thoughtful space uh, to recalibrate a little bit of uh, hope and positivity about how to change the story you think you're in. It's big out there, but in here, it's intimate and thoughtful, and it can even be fun despite everything, because, man, do we need to play our way into new futures. So who is my guest today? I can't wait to get into conversation with my guest. Uh, she describes herself as a queer non-binary trans woman living on unceded Awabakal land. She is currently doing a PhD research, and this is it. Solar punk, ideologies of resistance, resilience, and hope. It's a project that sits, she says, within the discipline of sociology and anthropology. And investigating solar punk as an emerging movement of the Anthropocene, what comes after the Anthropocene as we've known it. She says, I'm interested in what solar punk means to people, what they associate with it, and how it interacts with other movements and locally grounded projects that align with its principles, seeking collaborative and creative responses to climate change and social injustice. She says, I really care about what solar punk stands for. She is your friendly neighborhood anarchist. It is Ivy Skur. Ivy, welcome to Unsee the Future. And uh, thank you ever so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me along. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Now, uh, it is uh, it's customary thing. to. I'll do this customary thing. It's nine o'clock in... Oh, hang on. It's nine o'clock in Bournemouth. It's midday somewhere in this side of Central Asia. What time is it wherever you are in the world, Ivy? It's 6 p.m. in the other Newcastle, in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. Excellent. Thanks for joining us at tea time right where you are. The clock is flipped for me. I've spoken to a lot of people uh, in America in previous times, and you are in Australia, just north of Sydney, I understand. Yeah, about two to three hours north of Sydney, depending on what mode of transport you use. <laughs> yes, e-scooter might be a bit further than that, um, but it's super to meet you, and I'm simply engrossed in the idea of bringing some academic analysis to the whole idea of solar punk. Solar punk is something that's really caught my imagination, and everyone I know who's gotten into it in any way had the same reaction I did. They seem to have done. Um, they just heard the word and went, Oh, I get it. That's amazing. I want to know more. What was your route into? What was the moment you discovered solar punk? Um, I think I probably first started hearing about it around 2015, and it was on Tumblr. Um, yeah. I was seeing people sharing artworks, and 
conversations about what solar punk fashion could be like solar punk approaches to um, like accessibility for disabled people climate justice etc and that sparked my interest um, and following that i was i guess interested in a lot of overlapping like environmental and social justice issues got involved with the local environment movement and the first nations justice movement in my home city um, at the same time as doing my bachelor of social science um, and then through doing my undergraduate and then my honors research and then thinking about doing a PhD. I was talking to my PhD supervisor about potential topics and I was like, you know, I'm interested in this space of social justice and environment. There's this thing I've been following online for a while. It's solar punk. And my supervisor was like, what's that? So I gave her like mm. a sort of really general, oh yeah, this is what it's about. And she responded with amazing write a proposal on that, do your PhD on that. And I was like, okay. And so here I am. Now that, that Ivy just goes to show the tyranny of the academic system where professors can simply get students to do their bidding. Oh, I want to find out about that. Go and do a thesis on that. Find out for me. It is an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely understatement. Now, I want to get into, in in time, into themes of place and where you are geographically and how that's informed you. Already you're implying it. But first of all, let's just start with the big picture. Who is the solar punk community? And like all the words, uh, groups we attach the word community to, is it a community? Where did you start? Well, it, yeah, I mean, that's a big question. And it's one of the, like key questions of my thesis project is like mm. what even is solar punk what is the online solar punk community how much of a movement is it and so i basically i went back to all the things i was following on tumblr and did some googling and was like what other social media platforms exist i'm vaguely aware of some i'm on a couple um and i'd heard about some of the solar punk anthologies that have been published and so I just started writing stuff down um, and I got a Reddit account um, and had to figure out how to use Discord and yeah. had to figure out how to use Instagram and yeah. just started following people and looking up like Facebook groups and what subreddits they were. And then part of my um, ethics clearance and part of starting my field work was contacting the moderators of different online groups and going, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm hoping to do this research project. Are you okay with me? Maybe doing it in your group. Um, you know, I'm happy to make a public post in the group and sort of let everyone know who I am and what I'm about and that they can choose to contact me and they go, Hey, I don't want you to use any of the stuff I post about online. Then I won't. Um, and so it's just this, that slow process of just mm. looking and trying to figure out who was there, who was active, who seemed to be the big voices, um, and then start writing down what they're talking about. Yeah, all sounds logical. And was that a slow, like, like solar punk or like growing things like permaculture? Was it a slow process? Were you calibrating your expectations to kind of this being a slow researchy thing or did you did you hit it off with some people quickly how was that experience in the um, early days well some people i'd been following online for a while and that gave me a bit of a grounding um 
and there was a few like with some of my posts and, and contacting group moderators, some of it was very slow, um, mm. waiting to get responses. Some people immediately responded with, wow, I'm really excited that mm. academics are looking at this. Um, but yeah, the whole process of going, hey, I'm going to do, how do you even do an ethnographic research on a globally distributed thing? Um, <laughs> well, yes, Ivy, how do you? <laughs> Um, and the process of figuring that out and how digital research works. And very luckily, I am doing a primarily digital, like online ethnographic mm. research because the pandemic happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the process of figuring out where all the groups were and what platforms were active and what things I could get access to and who I was going to try and contact, that took several months and getting my proposal approved and my ethics approved. And then I've been doing field work for about 12 months um, and interviewing people and just observing and, and participating in online spaces and reading more solar punk fiction. I've been slowly working through the backlog of published anthologies. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to, there's quite a few out there now. Yeah. Well, we'll come, we'll come to fiction. I was thinking about, um, some of the platforms to use i'm discovering how to use discord and i find discord and reddit in a different sort of way they are like a sort of code to crack because they feel still quite old webby and i think the nerds like that <laughs> it's lots of texty galleys of things and discord to me feels like a video game it's that sort of or a video game chat room and i've really had to kind of like an old guy work out the settings to get in and then once in that richness wow there's a lot to Fine. Do you, are you a natural academic, do you think? Do you enjoy that kind of quiet getting in amongst the richness? Yeah, I mean, I've always been like a kind of weird outsider nerd. Um, right. And so doing inquiry, <laughs> like before I even trained to be an academic. Um, right. So it's very much how I approach a lot of things. Um, and part of my research is looking at the way things play out differently online like what mm. platforms seem to foster different kinds of interactions and discussions and what things work better on what platforms. And a lot of that's filtered through my own experience of being like quite frustrated and bewildered at all the different ways that the different online platforms work. Mm. Um, and you're right, like Reddit and Discord, in a way, they're kind of like a mashup between like the old web forums and like, the internet relay chat rooms. Yes. Um, that kind of a blend of that in a diff very different way to a lot of the other web 2.0 kind of social media platforms. Yeah. Yes. There's a sort of weird digital heritage vibe about them that uh, can feel quite exclusive, I guess, talking humanly. Maybe, that, maybe that's why people still like that vibe. Yeah. I find Discord in particular is a little insular silos and you need to get an invite to join mm. the secret club where the conversations happen. And then you've got to be, if you want to be involved in the conversations rather than just catching up on them after the fact, you've got to be awake at the right time. Mm. <laughs> yes, I've, I'm finding the same thing. And there's some great conversations to have, but I, do you find I already have platform guilt about not keeping up with enough threads within even just one platform <laughs> just oh no i missed out i didn't encourage them and i missed that and i can't uh, it's that yeah. 
With Web 2.0, man, it'll drive you mad. The the really intensive fieldwork stage of like online observations across the platforms was super draining. Yeah. Uh, like I started resenting being on my phone and being on social media because I would just be seeing work stuff related yeah. to my project and having to write about it. Yeah. Um, yes. In fact, I resent being on the phone. My studio phone has gone off in the middle of a live recording, which uh, doesn't it doesn't normally. So, you know, that that's how much we get interrupted by media. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually getting a live, <laughs> welcome to live TV. I'm getting a masterphone message in my studio, live on my own show, interrupting my guest. I do apologise. We need to, if Phil was working on this show, I'd sack him. But, uh, yes, all right, thank, thank you. I, we can edit, we can edit this out, can't we? Because obviously a professional would have put this in a studio with no phones. Well, we'll just wait then, shall we, for this person's long message. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that kind of speaks to some of what it's like trying to do an online ethnography um, where I'm sitting at my computer. And at the moment, I'm set up in my bedroom in a very non-optimized space because it's not next to the kitchen where my housemates are cooking. Okay. My usual work desk is... Um, and so I've got the kitchen, so I've got my computer, the wall behind it. The other side of that is the kitchen. Off to the right is the dining area. Behind the wall behind me would be like the toilet and laundry. And so I'm in the middle of interviewing someone and all of a sudden you can't hear any dialogues. All you can hear is the hot water surface running. <laughs> then we've just, we've just embodied that experience and brought it alive for our viewers and listeners. Yeah, but there's something, not only is that very pandemic-y sounding to me there's something a bit solar punk about it as well that all things are thrown together and you just have to work it but in that is an opportunity that you don't have to get it all perfect get in amongst it immediately yeah there's a lot of interesting and productive space in making do with what you have and coming up with creative solutions which is such yeah. a big thing with solar punk yeah it really is how did you uh, away from the sort of around the platform experiences and the different things, where did you find the flow most? Where were you feeling most at home or most easy to interact with what was going on? Or was it all like a kind of code to crack? That's a good question. I mean, I probably was most comfortable on Facebook and Tumblr because I'd been on the platforms for the longest. So I had yeah. at least a basic understanding of how they work. I had to learn new things about Tumblr, like... I'm such a low-powered internet user. Like, I am not a hacker whiz. Like, yeah, my other computer runs Linux, but I didn't even know how all the different parts of, like, notes and replies and tags and stuff in Tumblr work. I still only have, like, the vaguest idea. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm like that with a lot of a, a lot of different software, to be honest. Photoshop or Logic, all these big monstrous things that do lots. Once you find a route through that suits you, you just do that forever, don't you? Yeah. Although one thing I can say that I've been noticing and that a lot of the people I've interviewed so far have been noticing, the ones who are still using Tumblr or have ever used Tumblr um, to engage with like Solarpunk, it tends to be a lot less of the kind of ever escalating friction and disagreement that you get on Twitter and Reddit and Facebook. Um, there's a, like, people can say dumb shit in the notes, but if they're reblogging your post, they're probably adding something constructive 
And if they're not, you can just block them. Um, yeah. Whereas in like a big Facebook group or Reddit or on Twitter, the way the platforms function really thrive off and promote like disagreement and negative engagement so that it's coming up in the algorithm constantly. That's very interesting observation. Um, and yes, there is a difference right there in the communities, I would say, between with two observations between us there, what you're saying about the nature of the use of the platform and the constructive, curious nature of people generally piling in rather than piling on, uh, and my observation about being just a user, solar punks aren't. They'll take the back off and they'll want to know how to fix it and hack it and why is it like that. So that's interesting that how much people are already embodying that. Do you feel like you've found more of a home there? Can Is it possible to find a home online? Is that a silly word that is too rich for the experience of staring at the screen? Have you found a new space online? Do you feel more involved mm. now? I would say that I probably feel a little bit more connected and involved through doing this project, but it's still, like, for me, just another flavour of the weird disconnect that you get in, in offline life mm. because everything you're doing is, like, mediated through the screen, and that can be really good, but things are really disjointed, and to get a feel of, like, the conversation in its entirety, you've got to be engaging across multiple platforms and different kinds of nuance happening in different spaces. And then the same recovering the same ground and the same arguments happens again and again on every platform as well. Um, so it's, there's a lot. And like some of the people I've spoken to mostly aren't in online spaces. They occasionally touch base with a couple and they mostly do stuff offline. And yeah. some other people are mostly online and don't have a lot of opportunities to do offline things that they consider solar punk. Um, How do you feel about that in Newcastle? Do you feel you've got um, you've got some nerd friends, but it's but also nerd friends who get solar punk and have that sense of connection to the earth? How how about your physical space where you are? Do you have one or two people you can key into, and while breathing yeah. air outside? Like, there's a couple people I know who have explicitly like read about and engaged with solar punk in different ways. And when I use the term, they know about it in more than just having seen my posts about my research. Mm. Um, and a lot of those people, um, they've either, I met them at uni or I met them through doing activism. They already care about the environment. They already care about social justice. They're, some of them are engaged in like the kind of local anarcho punk DIY subcultural space. Um, but especially through the last couple of years with the rolling lockdowns of the pandemic and being very busy with my PhD and everything else, it's been really hard to feel like I'm as connected with them as I used mm -hmm. to be when yeah. I was more involved in like doing direct action things with them. Um, and there's other people who don't really engage, they're not really keyed on to solar punk as a specific term. But a lot of the things in solar punk have so much overlap with a lot of other yeah. like, subcultural and activist and social movement spaces. Um, and so they kind of come into it that way. Mm. Now you've spoken to many different people and you're getting ready to write your, your thesis this summer, aren't you? Or winter for you, sorry. Um, 
but the end of this academic year. How do you feel about Solarpunk as a framework when you think of it overlapping with a lot of language of other bits of society, more anarcho, thing, things punking things intentionally, activism and creativity, storytelling, my interest. What's your feeling about the word solar punk now? That's another big question, but how do you feel about it as you get towards the end of this bit? Well, I'm going to say up front that one of the unfortunate side effects of researching something in an academic way and doing an extended project on it is in the same way that you get more inspired and interested by some things, you get like just entirely burnt out on the whole concept in a way. <laughs> I wondered, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, solar punk still really resonates with me. I still really like care about its principles and try to engage with them. Um, and I think my kind of feel for some of the different ways people engage with and understand that is a, a lot more deep and a lot more rounded than before I started. Um, I've spoken to people from America, the UK. Um, I think I spoke to someone from Argentina. I've spoken to someone from Finland. I've spoken to a couple people from Australia, um, like just a spread of, mm. I can't even remember all the people I've spoken to. Yeah, I'm sure. People that I've, you know, seen discussions with online and occasionally interacted with. And the core principles of caring and fostering hope and trying to do something about the world to help make it better, whether that's through creating art or stories or sharing them, or whether that's through doing local activism or research or remediating your local environment or whatever it is that they're doing that is part of all the different things that can help make the world more solar punk. Um, some of them are spread across a lot of things. Some of them really focus in a couple of areas. Um, but it's the core principles of pushing back against capitalism, fighting yeah. against climate change, trying to make the world more livable and just and friendly and inclusive. Um, that's what they're trying to engage with. And those yes. are, I think, some of the key things that solar punk as like a concept and a lot of the stories and artworks it creates to inspire people to move towards that, that those are a lot of the key principles in that from what I've seen. Yeah, and the point there is that you don't have to be thinking, oh, am I doing solar punk? Uh, and, and, and they won't be while they're doing it. You'll just follow your passion into the thing that gets you excited or engaged where you are and it's likely to be local if it's solar punk you'll likely see the value of just putting hands in the soil where you are whichever expression of it is for you uh and then solar punk's just in the background as a framework you can refer other people to a little bit like the the global goals I often think of them as a sort of framework in order to give people some frames of reference solar punk's this inspiring story to tell every now and again but you know, I think therefore it's interesting that you have actually stepped back academically, thrown yourself on the grenade, and gone right. I'll slightly ruin solar punk for me <laughs> by by saying what is it? And your thesis is going to be a very helpful document to hold up for the community, isn't it? At the end is that how you feel you want it to end up? I hope so, um, because the way I've been lucky to have the privilege to do this. The way that I try and embed and shape the research that I choose to do, and I've been really lucky 
doing it as like a, a student researcher in my various programs that yes they get me a certificate and hopefully I get further work but like whatever is through that kind of like community oriented activist lens rather than mm. just an extractive academic lens of going well I'm asking for all these people to share their experiences and their time with me so I can write this huge thing. Hopefully the things that I'm weaving together in it and then presenting are useful to people in various parts of the solar pump community and not just of like academic interest to the people who will decide whether I get to be a doctor or not. Yeah. Yeah. And there must, there must be a sense of irony in that for you because you are, being in Australia, you will you appear to have a strong sense of the geography and the history of where you are. That where Solarpunk, as Jay Springett describes it, he sees it as the political wing of permaculture. But permaculture itself is, of course, a kind of academic systematizing of lots of indigenous practices and instincts. And so for you to do an academic thing on Solarpunk, it is a bit sort of ironic, but I still find it interesting. How have you married that with your sense of place where you are in Newcastle and its actual history before the British and other white settlers got there? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's been a thing that shaped a lot of, like, my research and thinking and the way I've done activism is when I started getting involved with things, the people I was getting involved with were like, you know, we have to talk about, genocide and colonization we have to talk about first nations justice we have to be respecting and engaging with what the indigenous people whose country we're on like want and need um and valuing their knowledges while engaging with this like legal structure and economic structure that is yeah. causing all of these issues <laughs> yeah. and climate change and everything else um and one of the things I've been interested in um, is talking to people about their versions of solar punk futures, um, both in like broad strokes and for their local community. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm so motivated to talk about and engage with solar punk is because of that hopeful visioning. Well, you know, it's engaged with pragmatism and it's engaged with things that are actually achievable, but it's also saying, hey, things could be a whole lot more interesting. And then through drawing these stories, we can like prototype and think through the different parameters of how things could be different and how that could maybe mess up some other things and how are we going to account for that? But it's so important, and so many people have spoken about this before, that we have that to push back against just the status quo and all our narratives about the future being collapse because I personally struggle with like future anxiety and climate anxiety and existential dread a lot. Mm. Um, and solar pump helps with that. It also like weirdly for me sometimes is kind of helps contribute to it as well. Cause I'm like, we could be doing this other stuff. Like yeah. it could be so much better. And we're just like the people in power just aren't, yeah. but there are people around the world who are, trying to make that be more of a thing and they are engaging with local knowledges and specific ecological contexts and working through possible solutions and different ways of thinking of futures and then we can share those to find the like common grounds and things we want to work on 
And maybe something from that way over there context could be really useful in our context. Maybe mm. it's not, maybe it's something different. But even just having those conversations and figuring out ways to try and implement even part of it, like that's A, more hopeful and B, way more helpful than just going, hey, everything's fucked. It should not be. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Have you found, I mean, well, I mean, I would observe, yeah, hell yeah, the, about climate trauma, a friend of mine, uh, who I'd not seen during pandemic, when I then saw her last summer, she announced she'd suddenly become a B Corp trainer for B Corporations. I, I, I didn't know she had any interest in environment. So immediately I said to her, it was, it was one of the first physical gatherings, how do you feel? And I, I looked at her meaningfully, but and she took the implication, paused for a moment and said, I'm having to work through grief. And I met up with her, this week and to find out a little bit more to months later and that is part of the deal that when you find out then you're invited to know too much and change seems to take a lot longer than the urgency we're constantly told we need so what are our coping mechanisms do you think is are there things that solar punk can do to help us mitigate that i think some solar punk stories um maybe don't do this super well and some of them probably do it in an unnecessarily preachy way or in a really like kind of you pick it up but it's not explicit way yeah um but i was having this really interesting conversation about grief and the role of grief um because some people would argue that engaging with grief about the climate and the the everything um will bog you down and you should just be doing stuff um right. uh, some of the people i was speaking to um a couple of weeks ago were talking about and engaging with some academic literature on the important role of grief for mm. reflecting on what's been lost what's at risk of being lost and reevaluating the world and your place in it and how you want to interact with it in the wake of that loss so that you're then making very different choices about your relatedness and the things you're doing moving forward to make that stop happening and to make mm -hmm. things be different and hold yourself accountable and honor the things that have lost while fighting to maintain and grow the things that are left and the possible yeah. things that can grow in the spaces where things used to be. Yes, yes. It, the possible things that could grow in the spaces where things used to be. Flowers in the scrapyard is a phrase I often use. There's a, a I've not studied his work properly, but um, uh, a contemporary thinker, Stephen Jenkinson, I don't know his heritage, but he's clearly drawing on a lot of First Nations thinking. And he his sort of thing is grief. You've got to start there and let go of all the things you just can't change that's his approach and that feels like coming back into tune with the systems of life which is a much more first nations duh, basic thing life and death are all parts of the same process and and westerners uh the anglospheres uh, like me and others we're not given those rituals and rhythms and habits to just be part of life yeah, the um, couple of centuries of white colonial 
capitalist, industrial, everything, where we've reworked our relationship to each other and our communities and ecosystems and even life and death, like a lot of cultures have really important grief rituals and practices mm. and periods and things that you have to do to mark the disjuncture in your life and reintegrating in the community. But I know in a lot of like white, like Western, like English speaking countries that are heavily industrialized and heavily capitalist, it's cool. So your mom died. Uh, you'll be back at work tomorrow, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So I'll have guilt alongside the grief because I didn't come back to work on Monday. Yeah, and that's a big issue. Um, mm -hmm. It is. It's, we just we don't allow ourselves time to do things in a human way. Everything is fast, now, immediate, on the clock, make profit. It has to be rationalised. And that's not what solar punk is about. That's not what First Nations knowledge is about. That's not what being in a relation, meaningful relationship of responsibility and reciprocity with ecosystems and other humans and non-humans around us, that requires taking things slower and listening yeah. more, engaging more authentically. Yes, which, it, which you're getting to the nub of it there. It feels at odds with the speed that everything's got to be done at and not just of living digitally but uh, and mechanistically but the crisis oh we've got till 2025 or, or, ever, or that's it it just it that that sense of quick 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 now it's life or death but it really is that's the thing in our stomach brain that, that is reacting badly i when i look out it's kind of there's just so many things that seem like they're moving too fast in the wrong direction and, and if what our countries were slower and yeah. we weren't aggressively burning fossil fuels and mining everything at the maximum pace that we could to extract the most profit, if we just slowed that down as a starting mm. point, we could take more time mm. to implement more things in a like contextually appropriate way in different local environments. But everything is just so fast and so big and so interwoven with all these like global and national power structures and economies and underhanded kickback schemes and everything else. And you're like, well, how do you even address that? Mm. Uh, where how do, do you, you put your energy? Yes, where do you put your energy? How do you speak to those things when it's a different sort of language? Do you Have you found any First Nations people who, who found anything of value in the idea of solar punk when you've spoken to them? I have not had any First Nations people speak to me yet. Right. Um, and I think there's probably a bunch of reasons for that. Um, one, they're dealing with a lot of shit that the people that we share a lot of historical family ties with have yeah. caused. There's so much going on. And also... Solar Punk, in a lot of ways, is trying to fill gaps in like ways of thinking about the world and each other that are more of a thing um, mm -hmm. in colonist 
cultures rather than yeah. colonized cultures. That's my implication. Yeah, I wonder what, whether therefore it did cross over for them or not, or share any language. And there are some people who, like, I think there are some people who are like indigenous or first nations in different areas who are kind of engaging with solar punk or indigenous futurism or Afrofuturism, other Definitely. overlapping things that solar punk kind of engages with and draws from and tries yeah. to be in conversation with in its best manifestations. But like, if I tried to go, Hey, you know, a Wobbicle nation people, have you heard about solar punk? Blah, blah, blah. Different <laughs> ways of doing life and relating to, they'd be like, fuck off white lady. Like we've been telling you this shit since you guys got here. Like you're not teaching us anything hurry up and get with our program um and that's kind of fair yeah it is uh, I, it's giving us a bit like permaculture it gives us a language to go hey wow maybe we can maybe where life systems mix there's more richness yeah maybe sitting and spending some time with the land and listening to it tells you things yeah <laughs> maybe if you weren't constantly trying to bulldoze it and monoculture it and there but are some pockets of solar punk where it is First Nations voices speaking the loudest and it's right. their concerns and it's honoring their cultural background. I think, was it one of the World Weaver Press books or was it one of, one of the other ones? One of the stories um, was uh, like Arctic Circle, Total Island, so North America, the right. top bits. Um, the, I think, um, like, the, the the story was, like, First Nations people who had survived colonization and been engaging with a lot of the technological developments and being the front runners of technological developments in that solar punk future, yeah. of solar punk technological developments, trying to rehabilitate their environments and maintain their kinship ties with the migrating, like, beluga whales or something. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a leftover pocket of fossil, like uh, oil mining run by an overseas, like white Distance. industrialist white. nation. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the conflict between that was supposed to be shutting down because of international treaties, but they're trying to extract all the profits, but it was putting the migration things at risk. And then the people on the oil rig were suspicious of the indigenous people making you know pockets for the whales to breathe through the ice and this conflict happened and something went wrong on the the oil rig and people had to be saved by the first nations people whose yeah. land whose seaways and lands they were constant still exploiting for profit um and so there's there's pockets that really engage with interesting tensions and dynamics of working through colonial contexts and honoring First Nations knowledge. Um, and I would like to see more of those and more of the like things like Commando Jugendstil have written about, about like an mm. anarchist collective working with local communities to push back against Nazis and make more community infrastructure and things like that. There's so many interesting things. Um, yeah.
Yeah, I Sorry, agree with that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. And something like Afrofuturism is is probably doing the most to cross over consciously with solar punk ideals. It's referenced a lot, and that can be a, a fictional way into new stories of us with indigenous wisdoms. And I'd be interested to see how that spreads to more Aboriginal experiences or um, Pacific experiences. But I, I've been thinking lately about how life changes things and then you've got to work from the change, which is quite a solar punk understanding. And we're in this process of transition amongst everything else, I think, of trying to, to work out where we go from here, that the world is now damaged. We are dealing with grief of things that are, are, are dying off and won't come back as they were. And that includes having brutalised and tyrannised indigenous wisdoms and understandings and identities vestiges of which now hold the keys to our life but we're going to have to figure out how to realistically put these things together rather than activistically shut down everything because we can't do you have hope in the ideas of of transition or in how we tell the stories of transition it's a slightly limp question but i'm interested in how we put these different the anglosphere together with the indigenous view the First Nations experience, given that we've got to just start by saying sorry in meaningful ways? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's a really different dynamic depending on where things are. Because right. I know of, um, again, the, the Arts Collective, um, Commander Jürgen still has been doing work with yeah. um, the Transitions Town Group in the UK um, in the last few years to do solar punk visioning and work with communities and, and really talk about important transitions that need to happen to make the community more livable for the people in it. Mm. And I think that's really important um, in, in more colonized contexts, you know, as you mentioned, and as I, I write about in my attempts at visioning futures and place for Newcastle over here, the fundamental first step is yeah it's saying sorry and it's making treaties and it's dismantling our systems of economy and yeah. governance to restructure them in a way that actually honors and engages meaningfully with first nations custodianship and sovereignty first nations way of doing things blending that with you know a lot of the really interesting things that non-First Nations, like white activists have been talking about mm. now as well, about undoing unnecessary hierarchies and you know, sharing resources and all of these things. Like there's so much overlap. Yeah. And it's just a matter of figuring out what's most appropriate in each local and cultural context as to which, which... voices get just a little bit more voice. Yes. And that's a fundamental part of a more sustainable, regenerative and solar punk decentralised view of the world. Listen to where you're at. What's the balance here? What's the mix? Who are the voices here? I find when I use the word transition, I find it a very symbolic one. And when I used it earlier, I'm simply thinking about change. But I wonder, I'm, some of my excitement is in the idea of the things that are emerging truths of what it means to be human are getting sort of leaking out like those little flowers in the scrapyard. They're signs of something way down the road beyond collapse, which is really what we are looking out for, hanging on to. I wonder whether the emergence of 
transsexuality as a story, for example, which you can testify to, to me that feels really symbolic, putting a weight on your shoulders, but it's speaking and, and the, br- the breadth of the queer experience. For me as a cis man, I'm looking at it thinking this is humanity speaking to itself or something speaking to us. Do you find crossover to be able to talk to First Nations people in that as people who really don't fit the flow of the system but are representing emergencies of truth? I'm being overly poetic there, but I wonder whether there's any shared language you ha- you can find there. It's complicated. Um, I mean, the first thing to recognize is that, you know, trans people, people outside of the assumed binary of, oh, we looked at your physical form when you were born and assigned you into male or female, and that's just what you are. Like, that's a fairly recent thing to become really solidly codified. Um, And then colonizers kind of exported that and push that on everywhere. There are a lot of like indigenous nations and cultures where there are a plurality of different understandings of how gender works and how bodies work and the social roles and interactions between different gendered positions. Um, Some of them have a couple of different genders. Some of those gendered experiences have a lot of similarities with the way that we tend to understand and talk about being transgender in like an English kind of Western context. Some of them are very unique and culturally specific, Um, but it's about a lot of the commonalities with different cultural gendered experiences are about connecting deeply with yourself and deeply with your, you know, cultural and social context and figuring out what actually resonates with you, where will you fit well? Um, Yes. That's the real challenge. That's the real challenge over humans. there There are a lot of distinct different things where, you know, being trans is an aspect of existence, being indigenous and dealing with ongoing colonization and genocide is a completely different like orders of magnitude more intense thing um and they can overlap and they can intersect um but i wouldn't say that you know being trans and experiencing being othered by our social and economic systems automatically makes it easier to relate and communicate it's, it's not an immediate bonding thing around the fire so you gotta laugh haven't you what's it like being othered by the system oh another shrimp <laughs> um but yeah i mean there yeah there are so many ways you can be screwed over by the system being disabled yeah. being a migrant like and there's things in our experiences where we can go hey the status quo sucks and mm. it's actively trying to eradicate us and we can build solidarity across that while recognizing the distinct issues and challenges and perspectives in our different aspects of identity. It's holding space for each other in that conversation where sitting around the figurative campfire, you know, there's active listening, there's there's knowing when to testify and that your truth is speaking for, for others and when to listen is 
most basic way of putting it. I'm interested in the sense of storytelling in this, that it helps us get our images around it and that stories like these are starting to be told more than when I was growing up. That's an interesting emergence to me. And I'm very conscious of storytelling sounding babyish and blundering over brutality and over the, the deep grief of trauma that we're actually talking about in all these different ways, personally and collectively. And yet somehow we've got to elevate that into something we can manage to talk about without it just grinding us to a halt emotionally so we can get on with the the farty everyday beauty of our lives, <laughs> which is at least as much a part of it and how to tell stories that simply give us more lightness in the ability to look forward and work. Have you got a comment on storytelling yeah. from your experience? Well, in both a like really heavy philosophical way and a super banal way, storytelling is what makes humans human. It's how we make culture. It's how we make sense of ourselves and the world and what our morals are, what our identities are, what our relationships to people are. All of that's constructed through story. And, you know, a lot of Indigenous cultures, this is more explicit because their history and knowledge is transmitted orally through story We've kind of abstracted that a bit with our yeah. encyclopedias and scientific yeah. journals, and, but all of those are telling stories. They're yeah. just specifically approved by the appropriate authorities for reproduction stories about ourselves. And the different stories we tell about ourselves and our connections to each other and our responsibilities to each other and what emotions do we feel what things do we value? That's all embedded in story. And mm. one of the really neat things about solar punks, it's going, hey, the stories we've been telling about ourselves and our future have been actively harming us and actively contributing to destroying the web of life that we are part of and rely on. Let's do some work to unpack that and start experimenting with other stories about what it is to be us and how to live in the aftermath of the things that we've done and how to live through trying to do stuff about that. That's beautifully summed up. I have just one last question for you, I think, though I'd happily sit around the fire with you for, for another hour. I ask all my guests to consider um an artifact that they would leave forward for other generations it could be a notion an idea a poem a thing an actual symbolic object it can be anything an idea that you would like to leave from now forward into future generations to speak to them or for you in some way what do you think that might be i think probably much like a lot of your other guests I struggle with this one because it is hard. I don't know what I'd say. One thing to distill it down to, would it be my ramblings about the future and how to be human? Would it be my very utilitarian pocket knife that I've put some fancy stuff on to make it a bit more aesthetically pleasing? That's all about like, it's not for 
fighting people. It's for doing practical things for solutions. The amount of times that me and a pocket knife and some rope has pulled the student association's event that was about to collapse or marquee that was falling apart or this flag had to be up or whatever. The, the amount of times that just having a utility knife <laughs> helps you deal with a DIY problem. I don't know, maybe it could be as like abstract and concrete as that. Mm, that sounds like it, especially if you have patterned it with some stories of your own actually on its on its shaft. That sounds um that sounds like a nice relic. I was actually finally just before we wrap up, I was thinking uh are you seeing an emergence of using do you find hope in the idea that with the people are beginning to use Aboriginal names for things, you know, Malabimba instead of Newcastle, talking about those things. Are these flowers in the scrapyard for you along with other things? What are What's a flower of hope in the scrapyard for you? I think they really are um, an important step and I guess manifestation of that slow but crucial cultural change of recognizing the histories of the place and the current ongoing mm. dynamics in the place and honoring the people whose land we're occupying and going, well, actually, our ancestors came over here and subjugated all this stuff and instituted all these really harmful systems. And there was all these pre-existing things that were in harmony with the place and if we're going to be fixing culture and fixing country and fixing the ecosystem and moving towards a better world, we need to be engaging with and honoring that. And so it's a very intentional practice that a lot of activists in particular have been pushing and is starting to be picked up by other like local councils and things like that to at least co-recognize the indigenous name for a place. Yeah. Um, and I know I watched a little a little film um, that was about, like, hopeful, like, if we did things about the climate, etc., what could Australia look like in, like, 10 years' time? And it was still quite reformist and a little bit constrained in its visioning. But one of the things that was showing positive, like, cultural and ecological growth was renaming the map with the First mm -hmm. Nations. Rename the map. Yeah. And making treaties and having, you know, Indigenous voices in our governing institutions so that they could speak for country through their tens of thousands of years of relationship with it. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. There are so many things to pick over our conversation there. I can't wait to read the thesis when you've done it. I bet you can't wait to have actually written it. <laughs> yes. Well, I will put I will put links to all that you've been doing, and when that's uh, published, I'll share it around as well because I can't wait to see how you sum it up, and how you then find your place on the other side of it, living into it locally without having to think about it every day. It will be an interesting future to experience being post PhD, <laughs> post living post everything, uh, including academia. Uh, it's been wonderful to meet and have this first yarn together, mate. It's uh, wonderful. Ivy Skur, thank you for joining me on uh, Unsee the Future. Thank you.
journey of piecing together what the fragments of this story really are. I've launched into this series trying to work out how we practically write the new stories and songs of us. And every week I find a new fragment to piece together, but it's not as simple as, oh, so it means this. I mean, I will, of course, obviously try to codify it into a neat series of lessons at the end because that's how my Anglosphere brain kind of works. But a huge thank you to Ivy Skur there. She has been doing so much interesting academic work ironic as academic seems in the in in the idea of solar punk it's so useful to understand what the framework is as people are living it where they are around the world just what are the signals what's the data telling us that's part of the story as data always is so thank you to her and i will put links to all her work where you can find her linkedin and instagram and all over the place all these platforms we have to learn in the meantime, if you want to find all the foundational episodes of Unsee the Future's idiosyncratic style of research, exploring the big themes of our era of crisis, along with all the previous Hopi chatty bits, you can do so at unseethefuture.com, obviously sausage. And there you can also find exclusive previews of the new book from my findings, UTF, How to Think Like an Artist and Change the World, Nine Practices of Art that can help you reimagine the story you think you're in. I'm still exploring that live. You can encourage me by becoming an amigo at uh, joining the Unsee the Future mailers, and you can find out all about me as a music artist and my creative context at momotempo.co. When you need cheering up, that might be a thing. What story do you think you are in? And are you figuring out yet how to change it? Let's encourage the more hopeful human tomorrow. Ciao for now. Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com. And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo Memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos. Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously.